0: Mike one, Mike one, isn't this a lot of fun? Hey, how's it going? Good. This is almost like a um, a bonus episode. People who've got jobs and radio shows, like I used to, they would they would have taken this week off. But we said no. What else have I got to do apart from sit around my kitchen table and uh, do another podcast episode? So uh, the last one before Christmas. This is podcast episode fifth. 16 17 18 19 or 20 of did you america he's jeremy i'm canfield don't forget the place to go to for all things did you america related is did you you can get the old episodes uh you can talk to us there if you want to communicate with the show send us a message either using your voice or your fingers to type and you can get to your did you america t-shirt did for all of that Um, Jeremy went to a super spreader event over the weekends. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mean to, but yeah, I, I totally did. I, uh, I went to one of
1: my buddy's housewarming parties and he was all the way in Fort Worth. So like it was a whole trek out there for me. So I had to commit to going. And once, uh, nobody was wearing a mask, I just...
0: I joined the party, (laughs) you know? If you can't beat them, join them. (laughs) At this point, uh, uh, is it irresponsible for people to have parties at this point? Probably, right?
1: What's funny is, like, everyone at first was kind of, like, making the joke, like, oh, wait, we're too close, oh, we should put a mask on, but I noticed by the end of the night, everyone was making fun of the one girl who kept
0: her mask on. <laughs> so I guess it's just the world we live in now. And your conclusion from the party, aside from the fact you probably have COVID now, is, is what? <laughs> oh, I'm claiming antibodies. But I, uh, you know,
1: it was a bunch of friends. Some I haven't seen in a while. Some, you know, I'm still close with. But a big collection of a group of friends I've had since high school. And I've realized that, Without question, I am the most childish of all my friends at this point. Like he was showing off his brand new house that he spent thousands on building. I can't even afford rent. He had his girlfriend. They were. He was talking about how he's gonna propose soon. Another one of our friends. They're married. Talking about how they were gonna have kids. Everyone was in the discussion. Like, oh, you guys should do that. I'm sitting in the corner, just like I'm still wearing condoms at all times. I'm doubling up right now. So,
0: <laughs> I, I uh, did you say? And I can't afford rent, so I live in my mom's place, but she doesn't live there. So technically, (laughs) I don't actually live with my mom. I I just live in accommodation that she pays for. Yes. Because she went to Houston just to get away from me. It's funny. I was even telling my friends, like, you know,
1: even growing up, my parents put like a lot of pressure on my brother, to, like get good grades and like have jobs outside of school. And with me, they were always just kind of like, you're a big dum-dum. We're not expecting much from you. That's a that's,
0: <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a parental thing um, that you get though, whether you're the first kid or not. Um, my sister's got three kids, right? And so the the two girls and then the youngest is a three-year-old nephew that I've got. And so, and I think that any parents would uh, testify to this. The first kid, they are super protective of. They they want to make sure that they go to the right school. They they overanalyze all of the schoolwork when they get to a certain age. You know, they can't take their eyes off them. Right. And then the second one, they let up somewhat. And if it gets to the third one, I mean, put it this way. I remember my sister being so concerned about everything to do with the the first two girls, to the extent that even me as Uncle Ian from 5,000 miles away would occasionally say on FaceTime, really, I'm sure it will be fine if she goes to school and has the lunch from the canteen. You don't have to make (laughs) the lunch for her every day, I'm sure... You know, the the burger that they're selling in the school canteen will be of a standard. You don't have to worry (laughs) about that. Now, meanwhile, I could be having a conversation now she's on Child 3 to my sister about, I don't know, what happened on uh, the most recent episode of... Uh, shit's creek or whatever, right? (laughs) And then in the background, they'll just be like, boom, I'll be like, what's that? And she'll go, Oh, Jake probably fell off the sofa again. (laughs) Like, that's now it could
1: be that she's less caring, and I don't think any parent or loving uncle would admit this. It could be that that third child is just a big (laughs) dum-dum.
0: I don't think it's even less caring. I think it's they're overly caring because it's the first time that they've they've been parents and then when they realize that the kids are going to be how they're going to be anyway to a certain extent i think it gets to the point where it literally is just sort of like they'll let them do i mean i i feel i facetimed earlier on today my sister's having all of this renovation work done um and almost to the point that um if uh, if i was talking to my sister and i could see out of the window that jake the three-year-old had started to climb the scaffolding outside to get to the roof of the house where the renovation was happening and i said you might want to go outside jake's just about to climb onto the roof the three-year-old she go oh no he's a climber it's fine he's a climber yeah, it's quite impressive right <laughs> he's up there so you were uh, now do you feel like you need to put a plan of action in place to catch up with your friends or have you just uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. accepted
1: that um, no 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 i fully accepted that i'm a terrible person and this is i'm a child I don't i'm gonna know if remain it, that I don't way it makes
0: you a terrible person like everyone's on their own path right? well there's
1: other reasons i'm a terrible person that just kind of gets globbed up into it but i uh yeah you know i think i've just kind of hit a point where i'm just gonna let them keep moving
0: forward and i'm gonna i'm gonna stay at this exact same pace now are, the, are you gonna are these friends you see regularly so because it could become quite depressing if you sort of drift apart, but you check in every Christmas, and then every year the house has got bigger, <laughs> the marriage has happened, and the kids have turned up, and you're still sitting in the corner, that actually- counting your pack of condoms just in case you get lucky <laughs> that night. That actually was
1: the uh, the one good thing. So, like uh, the main core group of friends that were there were friends who I am still very close with, but like they live very far, I don't see them as often. My one friend who came that I see. All the time, he's one of my best friends. He lives close to me. He came and met me up there, and they were like two hours late. And he's married. You know, he's a full-on adult, too, has a good job but he let me know that he's a little childish too because when he got there he was like I was like why are you so late and he uh, he had shit his pants on the way had to pull over to get rid of his underwear and socks clean up him and remain coming to
0: the party so I'm still better than him I don't know if that proves that he's childish I think he might have just missed out the whole middle life period and become an old man who actually <laughs> shits his pants so yeah. I, he's, he's missed out on adulting and gone straight to dementia I think,
1: uh, I think the the area of adult that we are now, you don't go to the party after you shit your pants, you just go home. So I think that was the childish part of me. He's like, well, I still wanna get drunk. <laughs> but that uh that wasn't the only depressing thing about the weekend. There's one other thing, and that's you know, I uh, I talk about my weight and how I'm a fat slob on this podcast quite a bit, but apparently I actually see myself way sexier than I am. Like I look in the mirror, I'm like, that's fine, I just need to lose a few pounds, I'll be right back at it. But I saw a picture of myself from the party where it's me next to like 12 frat fat uh, frat dudes. Right. And I am a fucking mess (laughs) like this is without question the fattest i have ever been no one else was looking like a fat member of steely dan no that's the thing i think we are doing walter becker a disservice by saying i look like him i'm starting to look more like the round shape of the rapper action bronson like i am so large and i've never been this big i don't know what happened
0: See, Jeremy looks like Walter Becker, but but um, before Walter Becker got sick and lost all the weight if Walter Becker never did cocaine this is what he would have looked like
1: I don't know that Walter Becker did cocaine based on the music though I'm assuming that at one point Walter Becker did cocaine yeah
0: I would imagine so so basically uh, you went to a housewarming slash Christmas party but it was more like a therapy slash uh, COVID right Yeah. Just... You, you went to a Christmas party housewarming that was a, as it was advertised you came out having had therapy and probably getting coronavirus what's
1: really sad is this probably it probably wasn't even the housewarming party, it probably was an intervention for me, but I just never picked up on the clue. You were
0: so drunk <laughs> that, that you numbed yourself right. to the intervention. Yeah. It's great seeing you guys. Like, like, when get you, help when you, now. Like, your, if your buddy is listening to this, he's going. He fucking believed I shat my pants. I just told him that to make him feel better about his slobbish lifestyle. He thought it was true. I'm a dad with a house and a wife and responsibility. My God.
1: Yeah, he's definitely not going to be thrilled that I said, but hey, no names. Who cares?
0: Um, There's a story about um, companies that have been having uh, virtual holiday parties um, I don't understand why you would want to do this because there's been some debate about whether you get uh, dressed up or drunk um, on your uh, your webcam. Um, I, for, for, for a start, when there have been holiday parties, I just think they're a, a recipe for disaster if it's a workplace one because you... I, I went to some workplace ones before the whole Me Too thing happened. And I've got enough stories from those parties to justify everything about the Me Too thing (laughs) happening because because these stories are just about people that were terribly out of control. So, but now, since the Me Too thing happened, there's kind of like, I feel like everyone would be nervous about trying to hook up with someone that they fancy in the office place because you have to keep so much more of a professional air of conduct. So I feel like there's no good outcome from holiday parties of either era, because pre Me Too, it was just the most appalling behaviour, and post Me Too, if you tell someone they've got a nice pair of shoes on, they might try and sue you. You
1: know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's funny because, like, in since the Me Too movement has happened, you see a lot of companies like like, all right, we're gonna remove alcohol from the equation. We're gonna make the event happen earlier in the day. And for some reason, dudes just still can't keep their dick in their pants. Well,
0: I I went to one Christmas party. Uh, now these are the, the I, I've always worked in radio while I used to. Remember, I used to have a radio career. And um, I um, there was one, I'm not going to say where these were. I remember I've worked in different places, could even be in shittsville th- from these the stories. But there's one um, where I, I know a bunch of people that I've worked with that uh, never went to a, a company holiday party after these specific events. <laughs> so there was one where one guy was getting way too touchy-feely with anyone's wife or girlfriend. And then when someone took him aside and said, look, you're drunk, you need to stop doing this, he started using the N-word, oh, no. which, which obviously you should never use. And I don't <laughs> know whether... I mean, there is no good or bad, but I don't know whether the context in which he was using it, it makes it any better or worse in the... He wasn't using it to talk about people of color. He just started dropping it into sentences, <laughs> uh, uh, like, randomly. It was basically like a comma? Yes! He was using it to punctuate sentences. So, so... Talking about an exclamation point. I, like, it I was almost as if, okay, if you're telling me I need to keep my hands to myself, I'm now going to use one of the most offensive <laughs> words ever. So... He stopped going to holiday parties after that event. Good. Right? Yeah. Um, Someone else I used to work with, uh, we used to hire um, a big uh, casino function room area near where the radio station was. And this guy in the middle of the party got up on top of the piano and just got his dick out. I can't even remember. Oh, so he was that guy at the party. Right. Uh, and then as a result, he never went to
1: a Christmas party again. Was he asked back to the Christmas party? I think that might have been more the factor
0: there. It wasn't. Uh, well, I mean, he certainly wasn't booked to do it at some point. And on the invites, they didn't say, you know, we're going to be doing employee of the year, playing past the parcel. Um, And then, here's another Christmas party. This isn't any particularly bad behavior, but it's just a a crazy example of a corporate company getting it really wrong. Um, They had a party where all of the high-level execs were in their own VIP area where there was a high-end sushi buffet... And the the biggest thing that you could achieve at that party was to win a raffle where if you were one of the chosen tickets, you got to spend 30 minutes in the VIP area where (laughs) all of the execs who didn't want to associate with everyone else in their company were enjoying like the nicest high-end sushi. Anyway, my point being... Given just these random examples of things that happened before Me Too, and now there can't be hardly anything exciting going on because everyone's too scared, why do you want to go to a holiday party in the first place? No, I think that's what's
1: going to make this year uh, either a lot more tame or 10 times worse. Because, you know, unlike me, I think a lot of companies are smart and are not trying to have super spreader events mm. and are taking it to Zoom and virtual parties, you know, for their uh, holiday festivities. Mm. That being said, what we've learned since March is, for some reason, people in their homes are vile and disgusting, regardless if they're on a screen or not. I mean, the
0: guy from CNN?
1: Right, Tubin, right. is uh, got so setting tur- a pretty good example for what's going to
0: happen this so year. got so turned on by the ratings and accounts that he was being shown on a spreadsheet, just had to get his wang out and start <laughs> jerking
1: off. Right, like, you think being in an environment where you're with all your coworkers and your alcohol is involved would already make people calm. Clearly it doesn't. Now add in them being in the comfort of their own home where people are at their most disgusting. Mm. Oh yeah, the Christmas parties are gonna be, this is why I don't go to Christmas parties. Mm. First of all, as we've explained from my stories of the past, I'm the guy at the party that makes a fool of himself. I'm not gonna do that in a work setting. I'm definitely already embarrassed doing it with friends. So. My, my,
0: my uh, way of dealing with any company Christmas parties was always that I would uh, show up to show my face, grab a drink that I wasn't really going to drink. I would almost do it as I as if I was acting a scene at a Christmas party. So I just <laughs> go round the room, say hello to people really quickly. If I was there for more than 15 minutes it was like i'd 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 let myself down have you ever seen denzel washington in those equalizer movies where he, where he times everything like, yeah, my, yeah. like that was like me i walk into the christmas party <laughs> i set my the the, the, the stopwatch right. on my phone i'm like right 15 minutes tick tock right and off we go and i'm in and out and then i would never say goodbye to everyone and, and i would just leave to, to get out of there because i was of the um of, of the opinion now nothing good can come of christmas parties because when you used to be able to be outrageous the outrageous was too outrageous and now if you want to try and fuck someone you shouldn't be doing it at the (laughs) office christmas party because that's just not acceptable in the workplace anymore (laughs) i don't
1: know if you don't get drunk and make a fool of yourself at the party did you even go
0: well, most people would say I didn't because uh, I had my 15 minutes. Right, I yeah. was, I was. he e- wasn't there. <laughs> I was equalizing it like Denzel <laughs> Washington. Um, I think our cosmic powers have been at work again. I um, saw Dateline on Friday did a whole two hours on Princess Diana. And let me tell you this, I was perplexed as to why they've done it now because she, she died at the end of August. It was no anniversary this certainly isn't a Christmas story. There's no reason to do Princess Diana documentary now, but see, we talk about things on this podcast, and um, they come true. And then, I, I but Dateline told me another thing that I didn't realize from back in the day that also adds weight to my theory about the Queen said, uh, "Send her to the tunnel," and someone <laughs> said, "Your Majesty, we we we, uh, we we can do that." I thought you were going to ask for the tower, and the Queen goes. I know I can't send people to the Tower anymore. The Tunnels, the new Tower. For God's sake, it's 1997. Um, that Queen. Well, you see that Queen. So Dateline told me that... Uh, and I wasn't going to watch it because you know me, I'm not into the Royals. I've resisted watching The Crown. So when it came on, my first thought was, um, oh, that's interesting. It's our cosmic power, but I don't care. Only that, I'm channel flipping. They're about to go into an ad break and they say... Coming up after the break, the Queen refuses to make a statement after the death of Diana. I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> like, she I do not remember this. hated her that much. <laughs> so Dateline tells me that, um, yeah, everyone was mourning. Elton John was goodbye England's rose (laughs) like he got halfway through that terrible new version of candle in the wind before the Queen even made a fucking statement (laughs) and not only that Tony Blair the Prime Minister at the time it was so bad because people were literally lined up around the streets of London crying because the people's princess had been sent to the tunnel right (laughs) Tony Blair had to contact the Queen and say ah your Majesty It would kind of be good if you made a statement saying... Well, I'll write you a statement saying that you're really sorry that Princess Diana died because clearly you're not. But the fact that the whole nation and the world in general seem to be mourning this death, and she's the princess and you're the queen and you haven't said fuck all about it, (laughs) I think, uh, could you... and, And then reluctantly... She went on the TV and read something that the Prime Minister had to write for her a couple of weeks after England had been crying a River Thamesworth of tears.
1: See, I think that's unfair because, you know, everyone's putting her as, you know, the queen, but let's take a step back and remember she's a person. Who's gonna say something nice about their ex-daughter-in-law? Who's gonna say something nice about their daughter-in-law? Mothers usually hate their daughter-in-laws. So already she's down one. Then she obviously had her killed. In that tunnel, I don't. I think we
0: shouldn't even rule out the fact that she might have been driving that car. <laughs> if there'd have been a director's cut of the speech, there would have been a bit at the start where she said, "All right, my daughter-in-law's dead." As everyone watching this who has a daughter-in-law right now will know, the mother hates the daughter-in-law. <laughs> However, the following words have been written to me, written for me by Tony Blair, the prime minister, and uh, and therefore I'm about to read something and and make it look like I actually mean it. So here we go. Are you ready, everybody? <laughs> the camera's up. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. Come on. I got something to get to. So yeah, I was. Uh, that was my new thing. So America taught me that, uh, you know, it adds weight to my theory that the queen was uh, you know uh, uh, totally involved because everyone else was mourning and she was like no nope, not coming out not coming out <laughs>
1: not only that she's clearly or at least her people are a big did you america fan because the moment we start talking about they're like run the dateline bit again we need people to think this wasn't an accident
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh the other thing that happened uh, as far as tv that i watched over the weekend was i um Checked out the, uh, the Bee Gees documentary now. Uh, well, I want to say Bee Gees, Brussels Sprout Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Like we talk about on this very podcast, the fact that um, you get things in the UK, but then they go to America, and America makes them great, like Brussels Sprouts. So, um, first of all, I, the Bee Gees, a great band. I would never choose to play any Bee Gees music, apart from one song, which I'll mention in a second. Um, but you can't deny the musical genius. But if you just have a slight care about music careers and stuff, this is a great documentary for you to watch, right? Absolutely. You've, you've seen it. You yeah, don't, yeah, you it don't, was you, great. You don't have to love Staying Alive and Saturday Night Fever to enjoy this.
1: No, it makes you realize that like there's so much more than Staying Alive
0: and Saturday Night Fever. That's why it was great. They um so they cover the fact that um the Bee Gees were um a uh, kind of like a Uh, a a Beatles ripoff to start with right Um, in fact Noel Gallagher's on there saying that he previously only knew the 70s disco era Bee Gees and at some point someone plays him like some 60s Bee Gees and he goes this is really good what's this the Bee Gees wow (laughs) Um, but the, the the basic story goes that they move from Australia to the UK and they start having big success in the UK but they're basically a vocal band who sound like early Beatles and um This arguably, I think, is their finest moment. They've got a song called Gotta Get a Message to You, which is written about a guy on death row. So the BG start making songs about people that are about to be executed. It is a million miles away from Saturday Night Fever. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's that's uh kim
1: kardashian before there even was kim kardashian is it yeah she does that but go on what she does what she does like prison reform like gets people out there on death row oh, she yeah, does? Yeah, yeah, does, yeah. She, does
0: she use gotta get a message to you by the Bee Gees, If she the doesn't thing? that's why these guys are still dying clearly oh my god can kanye not do a cover <laughs> i've listened to that Kanye goes gotta get a message to you oh ah Oh, I uh, could. Can Kanye do that? Do you think?
1: I'm sending him this that sample our now. This is idea for today.
0: <laughs> We're going to get Kanye to do a cover version of a lesser-known bg song, which is going to help with his wife's prison reform. Love it. It literally is a so because so, everyone thinks about like the funky, good-time 1970s disco yeah. uh, Bee Gees, but they started out right, and it's basically like a guy who's got, he's about to be executed. They're walking him to to his execution, and he wants to get a message to the love of his life to say sorry for. Some shit. I don't know. <laughs> sorry,
1: I murdered you, which is why I'm no, on death no, no, row. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. This is where the BGs were hardcore. He's saying sorry to the love of his life, and he's sorry that it's ending this way. When they get to the second verse, I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically goes, That bastard I killed, he deserved it. I mean, literally, it couldn't be further away from ah 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 staying alive, staying alive, because in the 1960s, the BGs were exclusively about death. i'm telling you
1: they had to make a switch in the 70s they're like all right what's the complete
0: opposite i'm building i'm building to that that's where the brussels sprout syndrome comes in don't jump ahead don't jump ahead but yeah honestly look it up it's called i've got to get a message to you and, and it is, the first verse is this guy, he's being led to his execution and he wants to pour his heart out to the love of his life. But the next verse is like, that, but that bastard deserved it and I twisted the, I twisted the knife <laughs> in his back. And it felt good, but then I got caught. It's basically how it goes. Are you a Gib? Well, you see... I think you're a Gibb. They they that you think the other two are dead. <laughs> I'm actually Maurice. Is he one of the dead ones?
1: <laughs> you're uh you're a, a Gibb hologram. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: I should be doing the... Uh, who's the one that's still alive? Barry? I, I uh, yeah, know. Barry's the one that's still alive. He should be booking me to do some of the backing vocals next time he plays Glastonbury. You know that documentary of <laughs> him playing Glastonbury? And, and and also, like, he's about 180 now, so it, obviously it's not, it's not easy for him to still get those notes. Right, now he's got you. So, uh, yeah. So I'll be like... Just bring me out for gotta get a message to you that's my favorite <laughs> one so they're, they're so they're singing the song about like you know i'm sorry uh, i'm about to be executed sorry but not sorry is basically the moral of the story and gotta get a message to you and england lapped this up and then england turned against them and it all went to shit. and they thought that their career was over until eric clapton then comes into the documentary and goes well you know I'd had a run of doing stuff in England, but I'd got sober recently and he had this like comeback album in the 70s that was made in Miami. Right. And they had the same manager. So Eric Clapton says to the manager, you should go tell the Bee Gees, leave this grey England shit and songs about being executed, go to Malibu and make a new album where I made my album and this could rejuvenate you. And suddenly they go from death and murder and songs that are in theory sympathetic to murderers. To Saturday Night Fever. (laughs) Brussels sprouted. Brussels sprout syndrome. They're the (laughs) original Brussels sprouts. Well, I... Bee Gees is a stupid name. I mean, we know the Bee Gees because we know the Bee Gees. But I'd put it to you. If you'd never heard of the Bee Gees before and I said, okay, I've got an idea for two band names, they can either be called the Bee Gees or the original Brussels Sprouts. Is the original Brussels Sprouts any more silly?
1: It's not even a question. That's the significantly better band name. Yeah. I'm getting my time machine right now.
0: <laughs> exactly. But don't take Gotta Get a Message to You away from them. Because that is, even though no, no, even though they needed to go to America to be Brussels sprouted, arguably their most, their greatest artistic endeavor is that particular song. And my buddy texted me on the Saturday telling me that I should watch the Bee Gees documentary. And I, I was in a diner at the time. I immediately text back and went, only if it features Gotta Get a Message to You. If it goes straight to Saturday Night Fever, I'm not interested. And he goes, yeah, it's in there, but it's not in there a lot. So I said, OK, I'm fine. And then I watched it and I texted him back and I said, uh, should have been more on. I've got to get a message <laughs> to you. And then I watched uh, the most recent episode of Jimmy Fallon, Barry Gibbs on there. And Jimmy Fallon said to him, if Aliens came down tomorrow and you could only play them one Bee Gees song to explain what the Bee Gees is, which song would it be? And Barry Gibbs goes gotta get a message to you i'm like fuck yeah i was right that's right <laughs> if i was barry gibb i would have been like oh
1: easily how do you bend a broken heart but the al green version not even our version
0: well they did they go through different cycles of going in and out of fashion which i guess happens to anyone who stays around for long enough um but they do go through in the documentary that they would had all these huge hits like they were a stadium band everywhere they went and then everyone turned against them and it literally got to the point where it was counterproductive to be the Bee Gees because just the name turned people off. But what talent, they just basically said, well, we'll just write songs for artists people do like, and then they write some of the greatest songs, but for other people. So there's that Al Green one, um, they did something for Barbara Streisand, which was huge. They wrote islands in the stream for Kenny and Dolly. Right. 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 And there's a bunch of others that I can't remember, but like, uh, early eighties when everyone hated disco for five minutes, that's what they went <laughs> and did. And, um,
1: that being said, if they were the original Brussels sprouts, uh, Disco would still be alive and thriving today.
0: Yeah, that, they might not have had to take that dip in popularity. <laughs> they might not have had to take that dip in popularity. That would have been uh, that's, that's very true. Let's do um, an update on Song of the Week before we get into part two because we've got the new songs to set. And we also have um, a load of other stuff to get to. Uh, so, Cherry Blossoms with Slender Bodies. Um, Sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Cherry Blossoms by Slender Bodies, New York producer choice, 40% of the vote. Uh, The Divine, Avalanches featuring MGMT and Johnny Marr, 20% of the vote. Uh, Merry Christmas, Everybody by Bastille, which was my choice, 40% of the vote. So joint winners, uh, Slender Bodies and Bastille this week on Song of the Week. Still not me. You haven't won one yet. No, No, I've won
1: one, but it was because Goody Mob got behind it and retweeted yeah no one actually listened to the song
0: uh you can vote for song of the week if you go to did slash song i will tell you what the new songs are for the next week in part two all right it's part two of did you america the last one before christmas if you want to talk to us did you is where you can go uh it's also where you can vote for song of the week if you want to vote via the website did slash song or we will have uh, the new choices for Song of the Week on my Twitter. I'm at Ian Camfield on Twitter if you want to follow me there. Jeremy, what is your choice for Song of the Week this week?
1: I went with John Baptiste, who is the band leader for The Colbert Show, and he did the soundtrack for that new movie, Soul. His song from
0: that movie, It's Alright. Uh, new York producer is going for Celadon and Gold by Maggie Rogers. And I... I'm going to do another Christmas one because, you know, I'm fully embracing the uh, the season. 21 Pilots, Christmas saves the year. And I've got to tell you, um, the idea of a band the size of 21 Pilots doing a Christmas song, even though I love Christmas, kind of made me go, oh, God, no. This is like I don't know if a, a, a band, just a band of that ilk should be doing right. Christmas. It's the kind of thing where you know like the rolling stones never did a christmas song it was fine for keith richards to do one with chuck berry and i don't think mick jagger did one but if you but do it solo don't do it as the the entity is it just a weird thing i've got i don't know
1: No, for sure i think uh when you hear the christmas song like it's so specific to certain artists when when big, huge acts put one out, right. it's like, what are you doing? It's yeah. such a money grab. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like, it should have been, like, a Tyler or a, uh, what's the other one's name in 21 Pilots? I don't know. It's been a while since I've had a job on the radio. I can't remember <laughs> anyone's name in music anymore. I thought their
1: names were 21 and
0: Pilots. <laughs> Josh. I was thinking, oh God, it could have been like you know just one of them solo. And it's called "Christmas Saves the Year," which makes me made me cringe even more because of the title. Oh, yeah. Christmas! It's actually very good. Uh. They've, they've done a very very good job, I think. So get voting. "Christmas Saves the Year" by Twenty One Pilots is my choice. Jeremy's got uh, "It's All Right" by John Batiste and um new york producer a uh, seller donald and gold by maggie rogers you can vote for song of the week at did slash song or we have a poll on my twitter i'm at ian Camfield on twitter um oh one other thing i forgot to mention in part one because i was too sidetracked with gotta get a message to you oh wow oh wow Great
1: BGs. I just cried after that oh, was so beautiful. It was
0: about man being executed. I'm about to execute someone. Oh. Um, my other BGs reference point I wanted to say is um, talking of crying before gonna get a message to you this is again the complete opposite to staying alive they had a song called new york mining disaster they sang about a mining disaster where a load of people went to work in the mines in the 1940s and the mine collapsed and they all died i mean they were death obsessed no wonder eric clapton said you should move to miami get out of shitsville where it's just gray and rainy go to miami where the sun shines and write disco music
1: you know right? you're obsessed with death when eric clapton's like you guys need to be more
0: cheerful right <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Um New York mining disaster. I interviewed uh, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols one time, right? We're doing an interview on the radio, and he said to me, oh, I, we were asking him about inspiration, and he from out of nowhere, he just goes, You know, one of my favorite songs, but it makes me cry. New York Mining Disaster by the Bee Gees. And, and, you know, previously we've been talking about him being anti-establishment and the punk rock wars and, you know, we're so pretty, oh, so pretty. I couldn't even imagine him having tear ducts. Right. But suddenly um, we're talking about 1960s Bee Gees and how this song uh, makes him cry and uh, so i we're doing a live interview and i just say to the producer go get that song now like, <laughs> we course, let's do it, yeah. right? and then in the meantime i probably like got him talking about various people he hates who's virtually everyone because i <laughs> yeah. wanted the juxtaposition between kind of riled up johnny rotten calling out politicians and every asshole that he's ever dealt with and then okay Take a few seconds to calm down because we're about to get into. I don't know what the words are to New York <laughs> no Mind <one> Disaster. Does. <laughs> Google it, and I'll do the intro, and it'll be like him, New York Mind Disaster by the Bee Gees. Find out what the uh, what the opening line is. Um, anyway, the point being, this shows you just how shit radio is. I'm going to become one of those people who just says radio's crap now because it because it fired me. But I feel like I've got I've got this great moment off the cuff and I played the song. And the PD of the station starts sending me text messages as it's playing. I'm trying to watch to see if Johnny Rotten's about to start bawling his eyes out, right? I'm getting text messages from the boss going, you know you're doing a really bad thing. The fucking Bee Gees on an alternative station. Are you out of your fucking mind? (laughs) Uh, So I'm getting literal threats from my boss on text while Johnny Rotten's getting teary-eyed and the Bee Gees are singing... What's the opening line? In the event
1: of something happening to me... There is something I would like you all to see. Okay.
0: In the event of something happening to me. Johnny Rotten's like. There's something I would <laughs> like you all to see. Next line. <laughs> line.
1: It's, a, it's just a photograph of someone that I knew.
0: It's just a photograph of someone that I knew
1: have you seen my wife mr jones
0: have you seen my wife and that point johnny was like, <laughs> i have seen her mr jones and i'm going johnny ron i think you just got me fired
1: <laughs> then you both started crying hugging it was a real moment <laughs> anyway
0: that was my other bg story that just came to me during the break <laughs> worth it totally worth <laughs> it exactly um Talking of uh, other people that I've um, had some... Well, I don't know what I did that was controversial with this person, but this came to my attention um, uh, over the weekend. Have we discussed on this podcast before that, as far as I know, I've only ever been blocked by one person on Twitter? Now, it's entirely possible that people that did know me from Schittsville... Have blocked me on Twitter because they've heard me call England Shitsville and they just. I was gonna hate say, does that. England have a Twitter? Because they blocked. Yeah, it, right? they probably did, but do, do, I, do I care? Probably not. <laughs> the only person I know for sure, sure who's blocked me, the ex host of the CBS Late Late Show prior to James Calden, Craig Ferguson. What? I would have expected James Corden before Craig Ferguson. Yeah. And that would have been absolutely fine. He loves England. I can't stay. No, that's not unfair. I think he's, I mean, he sings and dances and he does a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of talent, James Corden, but I don't care whether he's on the TV or not. The Craig Ferguson show. I used to love mostly because when I was visiting a proper country, when I was still trapped in shitsville, doing things like being threatened by my boss for playing the BGs and making Johnny <laughs> rotten cry on air. Um, <laughs> I would come to visit a prop country and I'd go out drinking in bars and then get back in and and Craig Ferguson would be on the TV, right? Yeah. And I'd always think, my God, if America can understand that Scottish accent, there's got to be hope for me with my (laughs) southern British accent, right? right? Because he's got a strong accent for middle America to be able to decipher. So I was always a a huge fan of the show. And then when he was leaving the show, I, I do remember messaging you know replying to a few things on twitter which i'm sure thousands and thousands of people who watched that show did saying you know i think it's great uh, and i'm sorry that you're going like i am genuinely a fan i don't think i crossed the line from fan to stalker <laughs> not yet i don't think i did that another thing i loved about craig ferguson he wrote a biography and it's called American on purpose. And yes, it's his life story, but it's basically the overview is, I came to America. It was the land of opportunity. It let me achieve my dreams. I, because he became an American citizen, I became American on purpose because America is so fucking great. And I got that book and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blocks me on Twitter. I think I might have
1: the solution based off what your description of his book. We need to send him a (laughs) t-shirt.
0: He would love that (laughs) t-shirt. And when it happened, right, I went back to his Twitter. This is going back several years. Suddenly I couldn't send him a message. I'm like, has he gone off Twitter? So I'm like, Oh, he's blocked me. And then I did and then I thought, oh well, you know, maybe they were just like needed to lose a bunch of followers. Like I taught myself and then I I go to a bar like later on that week and I said to a few friends of mine, Hey, you know Craig Ferguson does that show in America that I love because, you know, he's got that Scottish accent. Oh, if they can understand that, I'm gonna get a job. <laughs> um Blocks me on Twitter, and uh, my friends go, and I said, But you know, it's probably just some sort of mistake. And I remember one of my friends saying, Have you ever blocked anyone on Twitter? and I said, No, and he goes go and look at what you have to do to block someone. It's very complicated. You don't just block someone by mistake. So I again went into the process of trying to block someone just as an experiment and realized, okay, there's no way you can just hit a button you weren't meaning to hit. There's no way you can block the wrong person. I mean, it's probably easier to go to my bank account and draw out all of the money, not that there's loads in there, but all of the money that I've got and close the bank account and sign the forms and then deposit it somewhere else, like that would be probably a more straightforward, faster process than blocking someone on Twitter. So my conclusion from it was, I did something really bad and I don't know what it is. I have
1: three things that I think would be valid reasons for why Craig Ferguson might've blocked you. Okay. One, You both had previous heavy drinking days. Uh Maybe during one of these days, you guys had an interaction that you don't recall that scarred him for life and forced him to stop drinking well before you. Hang on.
0: Let me interject. You might be onto something there because one of my friends, Craig Ferguson is quite a bit older than me. And so is this friend of mine. His name's John. My friend John also is a non-drinker. He quit like years and years ago because he had a a proper... I mean, I quit because I decided I'd had enough, Um, but John and Craig Ferguson needed to quit because they were bad alcoholics. Um, John used to work in the music business and is full of stories about when there was just way too much fun, money and drugs around, basically, from like the 80s and the 90s. When I read Craig Ferguson's book... It occurred to me that when Craig Ferguson lived in the UK, he was going to all of the same places and hanging out with all of the same people as my buddy John. To the extent, from the stories that they both told, like John told me and I'd read about in the book, to the extent that I said to my buddy, my buddy John, one day did you ever hang out with Craig Ferguson? And he goes, no. And I said, because in his book, he is doing way too many drugs, drinking way too much in all of the same places with a lot of the same people as you. And John's got, we've got a running joke now. I go, you know, because John's still remembering some of his drunken times 20 years into <laughs> sobriety. Right. So I've got this running joke of eventually you're going to wake up one day and go, oh, that time I was in the Hippodrome Club with Craig Ferguson at 2 o'clock in the morning. I must tell Ian. So you might be onto something that may, okay. I, it could be that connection. So
1: there's one. Number two, the moment James Corden got that job, because Craig Ferguson is now American, he had to cut ties with anyone resembling anything to do with England, unaware of your hatred for England and love of America. He just knew this is some British radio guy.
0: Block him
1: yeah i mean he definitely wasn't thrilled with james Corden. no there then there's a third they
0: weren't through i remember you know that the craig ferguson show was um was made by david letterman's company yeah yeah, yeah. and although he had the rights to the second show, right and although they kind of made out that everyone the the shows had run their course and they were all going of their own accord i remember um because letterman stayed on for a period after craig ferguson had finished and um Craig Ferguson guested on Letterman's show after he'd gone, mm-hmm. just as a sort of like postscript thing. Right. And um, Letterman, even though everyone was saying, oh, you know, we're all just going our separate ways, at this point, James Corden hadn't started. And Letterman said on the TV as a question to um, Craig Ferguson, well, what's happening with the fat kid? Why hasn't the fat kid started yet? What, are they are they so lazy in England that they can't start the show on time? You've been gone three months. The fat kid hasn't even started yet. I was like, oh dear. There's See, some behind the scenes animosity.
1: Just based off of that, like you guys are so similar, you would think he would love you, which makes me think it has to be the third option, and that's your favorite bit from the show was definitely his least favorite bit from the show,
0: which is what the gay robot. Oh, well, here's an interesting thing, and this is why I bring this up. The gay robot likes me because the gay robot responded to me on Instagram. So the reason I was thinking of this was... Craig Ferguson's final show I say is one of the greatest finales of TV ever because uh, you can go watch it on YouTube the way that the show starts with this monologue it starts with him singing a song that no one's ever heard of but it was by some Scottish band then he has this great monologue then Jay Leno's like the main interview in the middle and then there's this final scene which I won't spoil for you but it was no one's going back to watch it no they will because it's so good i'm not going to go through the whole scene it's, it's just so good anyway the point being this is all on youtube the fi- the final episode and um the gay robot or the guy that operated the gay robot on right. the tv show posted on instagram over the weekend that it was the sixth anniversary of the final show right And it made me go to YouTube over the weekend and re-watch the whole final show on the anniversary of its broadcast. Do you think anyone else on planet Earth bothered to do that on the anniversary aside from me? And yet I'm the one who's blocked by Craig Ferguson on Twitter. You just got your answer. Clearly he hates the gay robot and you're keeping it alive. I was thinking that maybe this is well. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on my social media when we uh, release this episode today to see if I can get the attention of the gay robot again. Because I replied to the gay robot saying that was one of the greatest TV finales ever, and now you've mentioned it's the anniversary. I'm gonna watch it on uh, YouTube again later today. And the gay robot liked my reply. And I thought, yes, I'm getting in with the get. Now, as long as the gay robot's not going to get jealous that I'm using (laughs) the gay robot to get to Craig Ferguson to make amends. I just want to be unblocked. No one even uses Twitter hardly anymore.
1: I think it's very obvious that your love of the gay robot
0: is causing all of this. Do you think so? I do, yes. Well, maybe I'm not going about this in the right way then in that case. Trying to get in with the game Well I can't get to Craig Can I Because he's blocked me uh, I think you're going to have to give this up. I've got to flirt with the gay robot to get unblocked by Craig and then get to Craig and so I can DM Craig and go, I never wanted to be friends with a gay robot in the first place, but you blocked me. And I investigated how you block someone, then you have to be very specific, and I don't know what I did. P.S., do you remember my friend John Turner from 1993 when you were doing loads of cocaine in the Hippodrome <laughs> on a Wednesday night? I don't want to hurt
1: Craig Ferguson's career or current lack thereof, but uh, I'm going to say it. He is clearly a technological homophobe. (laughs) And in 2020, robots have the right to choose who they love. All
0: right. Before we go, let's do a little roundup of some people that have messaged us. By the way, if Craig Ferguson or the gay robot want to send us a message, didyouamerica.com is where you can go. If you go to message us, you can type a message. If you uh, click on be on the show, you can actually talk at your listening device and um, actually be on the show. If the gay robot left us, some, imagine if the gay robot became our co-host, like our third wheel on the show, because we've got like the, he just leaves messages. He's going to be like, I
1: hated Craig Ferguson. I'm with Did You America now. Oh, that's the
0: dream. (laughs) That is the dream. He was always a robotic homophobe. Let's be honest. He's like, Greg Ferguson ain't up too much. The gay robot ain't busy. <laughs> I mean, the gay robot would probably love to be on this podcast. Right. That's
1: why he replied to you. He's like, Oh my God, I have a fan. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we should uh, 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 point out again i am in still in the market for a radio job i've got so little to do in my time now i've watched all the hallmark christmas movies now i'm befriending gay robots on instagram <laughs> we've all been there um d sent us a message uh, hello i know i'm a little late regarding pizza hut dining it's absolutely fine uh, people can listen to podcasts whenever and we can always backtrack on anything that you've got input on um They were originally here as well. This is when we were discussing the fact that I said in the UK, Pizza Hut is a sit-down dining restaurant. It's a pizza menu, but with the sort of ambiance that you would get from Olive Garden in the States. Um, How about this? This is uh, Dee letting us know that, as usual, things are bigger and better in Texas. (laughs) Of course. uh, Her her, her things are basically two points, her, her, her message to us. One was... Don't think that the Pizza Hut in the UK was superior because they had sit-down dining. That happened in Texas too. But then she ups her game for Texans and says, you should try Pizza Inn. They also had a salad bar, pitches of beer and soda. It was a great experience. They had a self-serve soft ice cream machine Video games and pinball. Oh. So basically, that whole kind of like, oh, you can self-serve soft ice cream and have a dining pizza hut experience in the great state of Texas. Someone said, "I see your UK pizza hut," and I take all of that and I up you video games and
1: pinball. Have you, in your American experience, walked into a CeCe's pizza
0: yet? No, I've been past one. I don't think. Okay, I've been they're in one. they're
1: not great. It's you know, it's uh, but it's a buffet. It's like a you go up and get your slice. But since COVID hit. CCs have stepped their game up like no other. If you go in there you know because they don't want all the pizzas out and displayed, you tell them what kind you want and then they bring you a personal pizza of all those types of pizzas Aww. for the same buffet price.
0: Customer service baby. America. Oh yes! <laughs> Smell but I, the freedom! I
1: told you I said like if you still go to like the country in Texas every once in a while you'll see one of those sit down uh, pizza huts
0: and Right. they're a sight to be seen. Yeah, but More th- for the people in there but sit down pizza hut but I want the pizza in. If you're telling me I can't play uh, video games and pinball then I'm not interested. You are a pinball wizard. Right you go uh thor downloaded the podcast uh no sorry downloaded um uh spotify just for the podcast and said it's great you only just got spotify were you trying to find us on myspace
1: (laughs) i was gonna say that's as sad as that is i don't have spotify i still use just like youtubing typing in the song i want to hear
0: um ads is on uh, twitter she uh, this is responding to um our discussion about um christmas movies she says that patrick stewart in a christmas carol is good because it's old school i don't know like john luke picard i was talking about 1940s alistair sims scrooge that's old school i don't know (laughs) when was patrick stewart in a christmas carol so
1: you're saying she wasn't a fan of pete davidson taking on that role
0: no that was it's a wonderful life Oh, okay okay is that happened i don't don't think i even want to watch that (laughs) no one watched i'm such a traditionalist i was very nervous before i watched the colored in version of it's a wonderful life (laughs) and i'm only just coming to terms with the colorized version of it's a wonderful life Pete Davidson adding color with all of his tattoos is is a breach too far. I don't know if I can can deal with that. Um, Alistair Cohen wrote in and said, uh, Ian, you used to play my band Redwood on XFM. That's my old station from Shitsville. I'm trying to get exposure for this track because it's my family and it'd be incredible if you could give us a mention for old time's sake. Um, So Alistair has got this song that he's done with his kids, which is called Christmas Wish. Um, and the, the, um, the band are called Lots as in L O T Z and it's on band camp. All right. So if you feel like you haven't had your fill of Christmas songs, check out the band Lots L O T Z on Bandcamp, and you can hear their song, um, Christmas wish. And yes, Alistair, I do remember playing your band Redwood on XFM who were pretty good, but never amounted to anything. So I think, you know, Good on you, kids, because it's always a good, it's always a bad idea if you follow in your parents' footsteps, doing the same job that they were very successful at. because you're always going to walk in their shadow. But as Alistair's band never really went anywhere, his kids doing music's probably all right.
1: So you're saying like Sean Lennon's probably had a rough time of it. Yes. And <laughs> Jacob what, Dylan might you know not had been surprised to have two heads.
0: One headlight is hardly like a rolling stone. <laughs> right? <laughs> um and that what was the other lennon that uh, that touched? julian yeah yeah yeah, and he really made an effort to look like his dad and <laughs> what, sure. saltwater was that julian lennon no too late for goodbyes
1: i'm not sure i think the only ones who have had some success is probably like the marley kids and that's because there's so many of them eventually one of them was gonna have a hit. yeah
0: yeah 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 totally and uh lux and short message because we were discussing uh ricky gervais on the podcast before um talking about the fact that Ricky and I used to work together uh, pre-Ricky becoming hugely successful and making The Office. And uh, Lux and Shaw wanted to know, did Ricky used to do the weather on my old radio station? No, because for Ricky to do the weather, he would have had to have had some sort of skill in at least reading weather maths. (laughs) Ricky's job, and this was the job, the, the description on his contract, was head of speech. And I think when he got hired... Remember, no one knew who he was at this point. Right. They thought they were getting someone with some sort of journalistic background who would furnish the broadcast with relevant news items or music news or information or create some sort of journalistic integrity that would run through the speech elements of what was London's first alternative radio station, Ricky took head of speech to mean that occasionally between songs, he would rock up in the studio while the main presenter was on air and just arse about on the microphone. <laughs>
1: so you, what you're saying is I'm on this a uh, much cheaper version of the ricky gervais path you know they thought i was going to be professional and a great voice potentially and in the end i just kind of tell dick jokes and what
0: happened was you know uh yeah basically that so i'll just stick with trying to do radio and you'll eventually just leave because someone comes along and wants to actually give you real work but you'll go create something that's your equivalent of the office and then just make millions and millions in the future
1: Sounds great to me.
0: I yeah, I'll, I'll start writing. I will say this though, the uh there are, I'll watch things like um Afterlife, Javace's latest thing now. Yeah. And this is 20 years later. Um occasionally there'll be a joke in that i'm not exaggerating here that he told me in that radio studio in 1998 (laughs) hey if uh, it gets laughs you never let go of it (laughs) literally so you know um so yeah i can say no there's no way he would have done the weather because that would have taken some attention to detail (laughs) but clearly his ability to basically arse around has served him very well because he's the one who's got multiple houses living a luxurious lifestyle and i'm the one doing a podcast from my kitchen table you hear that mom there's a chance <laughs> so you want to get in touch with the show did you Uh, If you click on message us, you can type us a message. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, go to didyouamerica.com and click on be on the show. And then you can talk into your listening device and leave us a message. Um, We're going to do a show again next Monday for those of you who listen in something approaching real time. So the next episode will be out on the Monday between Christmas and New Year. That's correct, right? Yes, yeah,
1: so no Christmas episode. I'll just have to be a lonely Jew on Christmas once again. This
0: was the Christmas episode. I regaled you with tales of ex-colleagues of mine that used to get their dicks out on top of pianos at Christmas parties and another colleague who got all really touchy-feely with everyone's wife and girlfriend and then for no reason whatsoever started using the N-word when he was told to to, to, to calm down. That's the Christmas spirit. But that's great, but what am I supposed to
1: do on actual christmas i created this whole covid thing to make sure you couldn't go back to england so i would have someone to hang out with that we're not even doing an episode
0: <laughs> DigiAmerica.com, buy a t-shirt because we're poor i mean i'm especially very poor i seriously need a job
1: i'm porto